Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. This morning, I have a very special guest on the phone. I guess I'm just going to jump right into it. I was going to play another song, but I'm kind of feeling like a gung-ho April morning here. So on the phone with me today is a um, very special guest, Dr. Judith Orloff, who is a psychiatrist and an intuitive healer and author of the new book, Second Sight. Dr. Orloff, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. Thank you. Good to have you on the phone with us today. Oh, it's good to be here. So uh, your new book, Second Sight, is a fabulous journey uh, through, (sighs) you you know, what you've managed to do is something that I think eludes a lot of people, which is to how how to uh, integrate our intuitive side and our practical side. You are a psychiatrist, but you also are deeply intuitive, and that uh, ironically, though, you think of psychiatry and the psyche as being all about the mysteries of the mind. Really, there's not so much attention paid to intuition in in mental health. Is that right? Oh, unfortunately, that's absolutely right. I mean, I wrote Second Sight to really share with people how I work as a psychiatrist and an intuitive yeah. and bring the traditional psychiatric knowledge and all the traditional knowledge that I was trained with and I was blessed to be trained with along with the realm of intuition and dreams and listening to the unseen realm. Yeah. And you have some amazing stories about dreams as a child. And in one fact, one of the quotes that I really loved in the book is when you're talking about uh, having dreams as a child that were precognitive uh, and all sorts of things and and really not getting much support or validation for that. But you say that uh, dreams, early dreams like that, uh, prepare you to see. Yes. Can Definitely. you say more about that? Because I, I know that a lot of people have these dreams that they carry around from their childhood. Yes. Yes. Well, the main way that my intuition comes through is, is through dreams. And since I've been a little girl, I've had dreams that have come true. Mm-hmm. So when I was little, I would predict things like death and illnesses and earthquakes and my grandfather, who I loved more than anyone in the world, came to me to let me know he was dying in a dream mm. and just to say goodbye. And in the dream, it was beautiful and loving yeah. and perfect. But when I woke up, I got very scared and ran into my parents' room. And they said, oh, no, dear, it's only a nightmare. And so I just went back to bed. But the next morning, we got a call that my grandfather suddenly died. Mm. So I had dreams like that where finally my parents told me never mention any more of my dreams again at home or my intuition. So that was in the beginning of Second Sight. I talk about my childhood, and I know this is true for a lot of people who are intuitive children, and they don't get the support for their intuitions where they squash it, or they, you know, think there's something wrong with themselves like I did, or somehow that I was causing these events, which I wasn't. Right. 
And but but I want to say when you squash a powerful you know force like dreams or intuitions, you you pay a price because that's a huge energy that needs to be expressed in people. Yes, that's absolutely true, and and it doesn't. I mean, it seems to have made you stronger in some ways. That I mean, of of course, you you go through all of these trials that you've gone through uh, over the course of your adult life. Um, but I'm I'm thinking there's maybe a fine line between the the type of resistance that you had to to push back against in order to reclaim your intuition in in your practice and there's a fine line about between having enough resistance to really grow strong and develop your gifts and having so much resistance that you actually crumple and and have problems as an adult because you have all this stuff that's been suppressed and that's that's a very that's well well put well put um you know, I, I had a lot of resistance to my intuitions as a child, but, you know, as I wrote, you know, I was always kind of willful, and I wanted to do things my way, and I was rather stubborn. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, look back, and I think, well, what if my parents really did support my intuition and dreams? Maybe I wouldn't have wanted to, <laughs> yeah. to develop them, <laughs> you know. This is kind of perfect for my nature because yes. I really wanted to do it my way, Yes, you know, despite the resistance. And so... You know, it's kind of my nature to fight against the status quo, Yeah. you know, to want to change things in medicine. And I don't care what statistics say or, or how many people believe it's not possible. That doesn't make any difference yeah. to me. What does make a difference to me is my belief in my intuition and my message. And I know the power of intuition in medicine and healing. So, yes. you know, I'm very certain about that within myself. So it doesn't matter really what's going on on the outside. But, but I've had to grow very savvy at dealing with resistance, Mm -hmm. you know, and working with other physicians and, you know, others, you know, in the world who have, are stuck in their linear minds and they can't see that there are any other worlds that are available. So I'm very compassionate with that because I see it as a kind of blindness. Mm -hmm. And so part of my role with Second Sight is an educator for people to kind of, you know, lead them by the hand and say, you know, no, there's something a little bit different out here (laughs) that you can explore. Right. Well, it's a very accessible book, too, which I found, uh, which I was happy to find. You know, it's it's very, uh, you're telling your story, but then you're also delving into these really important points, the, these things about, you know, the, the, the things that you list as components of an intuitive lifestyle, which, you know, prayer, using altars, ritual, meditation, and dreams. So, I, and, and to me, you know, thinking, well, geez, if I were a psychiatrist, would I really want to put myself out there? And so I'm, I'm curious, has, has publishing your work made it more or less difficult for you as a psychiatrist among your peers? Well, it took me seven years to write Second Sight because I was so afraid of what my peers would think. Yeah. And I had to really work through my fear and get in touch with the power of the message and believe in that. Yeah. And to believe that I would be cared for and, and you know, taken care of because it, it's such a, a powerful message of goodness. Yeah. And it helps, it has helped so many people to connect with their inner wisdom. So, you know, I focused more on that when yeah. I finally got to the point where I was comfortable coming out of the closet, let's say, as an right. intuitive and a psychiatrist. And I've, I've, the world has been pretty gentle with me, mm-hmm. really, because I, my way is not to take anything on. I love medicine. I love the human body. I love my education. I love my colleagues. Yes. You know, it's not, that's not an issue. 
It's just that I also travel other realms. Yes. And so because I don't have that resistance, you know, and I have a deep love for healing wherever it comes from, whether it's traditional medicine or not, I think it's made my path a little bit easier in the traditional medical community because I'm really seen as a threat. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might not understand what I'm doing, but, you know, because there's mutual respect, that goes a long way. Yes. Well, and I th- it sounds like if people are seeing that you're doing good work and that, you know, you're you're meeting all the standards for the th- the profession, maybe that that's sort of an entree. That's a nice entree for them then to explore. Well, maybe I do have other resources I can bring to bear in my profession as well. Yeah, and also in the last, you know, decade, alternative and complementary medicine has so skyrocketed yes. into the scene, you know, that it's getting much, much more accepted. Energy therapies, yoga, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of things. So, you know, intuition isn't exactly like that. I mean, it's part of all that. Yeah. But intuitive medicine, you know, hasn't really, you know, come along in the same way as yoga has, ending up on the cover of Time magazine. Right. But I would love it if it oh, ended up fun. on the cover of Time magazine. <laughs> a special edition, perhaps. Let's special go for that. Special edition, yes. <laughs> Take heed. Exactly. We're talking with Dr. Judith Orloff today on Dream Talk Radio. Dr. Orloff is the author most recently of Second Sight, an intuitive psychiatrist tells her extraordinary story and shows how to tap your own inner wisdom. Uh, you can reach Dr. Orloff at drjudithorloff.com. She's also going to be speaking at the New New Living Expo in San Francisco, May 1st. Um, you know, one of the things that I am continually asked as a, as a dream interpreter is, well, where do you get your training? And I have to keep telling people, you know, you assume that, that people that go into psychology or psychiatry get a lot of training in dreams, but actually that's not true. But it, it is this common assumption. Now, so I wanted to ask you, did you have much training as a student in dreams? Interesting question. Um, I had a psychoanalytic supervisor in my residency at UCLA mm-hmm. who gave me some guidance about dream interpretation, you know, from a Freudian point of view. Yes. And I liked him a lot. He had some good points. But, you know, mainly I've been interpreting dreams since I've been a child on my own. Yeah. It's been a natural um, kind of gift that I've had. I've remembered my dreams. I kept dream journals since I've been a very young girl. Um, but somebody really helped me. One of my teachers that I talk about in Second Sight was Brew Joy. Mm-hmm. He was one of my first teachers, and he was superb at mm-hmm. dream interpretation. And we would have dream groups in the morning in, in our workshops and go through dreams. So he was a, a great teacher for me about dreams because he knew about the spiritual aspects yes. of dreaming. And so, and he was a physician. He recently passed on, but he was a mm-hmm. great great powerful teacher of mine in the very beginning when I was just you know beginning to explore all this but that along with my natural passion for dreams I mean I have so many dream journals in my closet from when I was little (laughs) I love it I mean it's the first thing that I do every morning every morning I have my dream journal I stay in the hypnagogic state Mm. you know and I write down my dreams and I just kind of work with them a little bit in the morning but in Second Sight, I have a chapter called The Alchemy of Dreams, yes. which teaches people how to remember and interpret their dreams and goes through the different types of dreams and how to work with them, like psychological dreams mm-hmm. versus predictive dreams versus guidance dreams versus healing dreams, and how the dreams are a little bit different and you know, different functions. Um, but remembering, remembering, that's key. And yes. people who don't remember 
it doesn't mean they don't have the dream. Right. That's what they think. But that isn't what it means because we dream at least 90 to 120 minutes every night. That's you know, right. That's, that's just the REM cycle. But mm-hmm. I, I happen to believe we dream much more than that mm-hmm. and that we're dreaming behind our, our waking consciousness. Yes. <laughs> That's true. I was just talking with a gentleman last week about uh, Dr. Alan Hobson's research on lucid dreamers. And I, I don't know that. Um, he's over at, at Harvard Medical School, and yeah, he's traced uh, the uh, brainwave patterns of lucid dreamers, and he sees the uh, you know the standard sleeping, the REM cycle, you know all those dreaming patterns. But then he also sees these brainwave patterns of wakefulness, and so his theory, and he's a real you know he's a, he's a sort of a hardliner. Dreams don't have any inherent meaning, but what he takes from his own research is that there are two simultaneous states of consciousness, dreaming and waking, and that they they go on during the day and the night, but during the day we repress it, and so we're in waking consciousness. And I just, it was, we were talking about this, and I'm thinking, does Dr. Hobson have any idea how radical his theory is? Eh, it's not that radical. Well, um, I mean, for, a, for a scientist, for a, such an empiricist, it seems like a pretty... Um, oh, yeah, that, that, that's true. But it, it, it totally goes with my experience, yeah. my dream state. You know, that, that that's what happens. I mean, all I have to do is close my that's eyes, right. and I'm there. I mean, I one treat that I give myself at the end of the day is that I get into a bathtub, and I go into a trance state where mm. I close my eyes, and I drift off, and it, it's dream trance. Yes. But it, it takes about a second to get there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it's not, no, I just slip into it. I melt into it. Yeah. Because I love it so much, but... You know, the point with second sight, second sight means, you know, in the Irish countryside, that's what they called people who were able to have visions and seeing. Yeah. And dreaming is one way you can have visions and seeing, whether you're dreaming while awake, whether you're dreaming while asleep. It's powerful knowledge, intuitive knowledge that you can work with. You know, I went to medical school on the basis of a dream. Mm-hmm. I had a dream in my 20s that I was, to become an MD, to have the credentials to legitimize intuition in medicine. And this was, you know, I write about this in um, the chapter where I was working at, in Dr. Thelma Moss's right. psychology lab. Um, but at that time, I had no desire to become a doctor. Yeah. I was more of a writer and living with my artist boyfriend in Venice Beach, and I was working in the towel department in the May Company. And I had all these uh, parents and relatives who were doctors. I didn't want to do it. Right. But because I had this dream, you know, I gave it a chance. I enrolled in one course in a junior college yeah. just to see how it would go. And it turns out, you know, one year became two years, became yes. 14 years of medical training. <laughs> Which, uh, and, and, you know, I mean... It seems like a very clear dream, as I recall, that it, it, it was just a very clear sort of almost a statement. Can you remain? Uh, yeah, it was, it, was an, it was like an announcement. Yes. Neutral announcement, mm. which sounded perfectly plausible in the dream. But when I woke up, I thought it's somebody playing a practical joke on me. Right. Because this is not at all yes. what I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted to do for my life, but I knew it wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, but that, you know, I just say this for your listeners, that sometimes your dreams can point you in the direction of your true calling. Yes. Despite what your mind thinks you want to do. That is so true. And it's, uh, I like that you brought up the point that it was very clear. You have this um, section in, in the Alchemy of Dreams chapter of your book. You talk about this, the sort of um, 
not disinterested so much as objective yeah. clarity in a dream statement, in, in guidance dreams. Yeah, it's neutral. It's just information that comes yeah. through. It's like an announcement. It's like uh, over a loudspeaker or something. It really doesn't have a lot of emotional charge, uh-huh. um, except I see that intuitively accurate dreams and flashes have compassion mm-hmm. associated with them at times. Mm-hmm. They're either neutral or compassionate. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of emotional charge yes. to them. I mean, you might have an emotional reaction to an right. intuitive dream. But the information itself, when it's disseminated to you, is either neutral or compassionate. Those are the dreams and intuitions I trust the most. Yes, and you do talk some, and maybe you can explain for our listeners that how you how you discern between intuitions that are right on and intuitions that are maybe uh, based on fear or some other emotional charge. Well, yes, I wouldn't call them intuitions that they were based okay. on fear and, uh, and an emotional charge. So that's more of a, you know, psychological issue you need to work with. Yeah. <laughs> that's something different. And intuition is, uh, is clear information that comes through that directs mm-hmm. you that is either compassionate or neutral. Mm-hmm. But well, I notice that if I have a dream, let's say, that has a strong fear level or anxiety level or whatever emotion comes through, it's more likely those are my issues that I need uh-huh. to work with myself rather than a guidance or predictive dream. Yes. So anything with a strong emotional chart, if I'm irritated, if I'm embarrassed, if I'm upset, that's my psychological work to do, that the dream is shining the bright light in the darkness to point right. it out to me. And certainly as a psychiatrist, I'm a big believer in working on psychological oh, issues. Oh, sure. I love that. I mean, it's, you know, part of... Um, the human healing path here is to learn how to work with emotions. My last book, Emotional Freedom, was I dedicated four years to exploring um, intuition and emotions mm-hmm. because it's so important to learn how to work with negative emotions to be able to transform them once you understand what's going on in, in yeah. terms of healing so you're not caught. And as an intuitive, you know, I have been in psychotherapy, you know, most of my adult life because... You know, I want to work through all, you know, as many as my of my issues as possible so I yeah. don't project it onto the people I do intuitive readings with. Yes. So so how would you, uh, and I should say we're speaking with Dr. Judith Orloff this morning on Dream Talk Radio. I'm just getting so much into the, the subject that I keep forgetting to <clears throat> to announce uh, who our guest is. Uh, so, I, you know, one of the things that I get asked is, how can I access my dreams? How can I look for help, say I'm, I have a specific, say I'm looking for a new job, say I got laid, there's a lot of this going around, right? People get laid off, they're looking for jobs, they're asking their dreams for help, but it's something that they have a lot of fear, anxiety, hope, and they're, you know, they're trying to sort out all this emotional stuff at the same time they have a dream. How do you then go through the dream and sort of sift out the um, the psychological issues from any actual, um, you know, guidance information that's going on? Well, the psychological issues will have a strong charge. Uh-huh. For instance, if you're dreaming that... Uh, malevolent man is pursuing you and you're chased on the edge of a cliff and you're running, 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 your heart's beating, and you wake up and you think, oh, it's only a dream? Yeah. No, I wouldn't deal with it that way. Right. I would look at it as, you know, in your meditations, in your daily life, find out who that person is who's chasing you, look back yes. so you can deal with it. Um, so, in, you know, I love nightmares. I have a section on nightmares. Yes. 
And although nightmares are uncomfortable and, you know, anxiety-provoking, they really shine the light on how to be free. Yes. And how to deal with that difficult material. When I was um, working with my first teacher, Brew Joy, and I write about this in Second Sight, we would have, you know, literally evenings where he would show us these horrible films like Caligula or Hitler films or, Mm. you know, really horrible, you know, scary war films or, you know, decapitation films. And then we would go dream. And then in the morning we would bring our nightmares into the dream group to work through our dark material. And so we would purposely, you know, stir up all that dark stuff with the dark movies right before we went to sleep. Wow. So that we would have the opportunity to work with it in ourselves. It's a gift. It's extremely uncomfortable. But I hope people, um, you don't let, you know, the discomfort sway you from the freedom that comes when you deal with some of the nightmares. That's right. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. I've never heard of somebody actually, it's basically incubating nightmares. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah, it's intense. And yeah. you need to have a very supportive environment. Yes. But everyone was up for it. I mean, we signed up for that. We were out in the high <laughs> desert for two weeks doing this. <laughs> you signed up for your e-ticket ride there. That's right. <laughs> well, one of the things about Second Sight that I found so interesting was your revelations about your grandmother. Uh, and this comes after a long hard-fought battle of, you know, being okay with all of your your dreams and intuitive insights and then having this pushback by your parents of like, no, this doesn't mean anything. And then towards the end of your mother's life, you have this amazing revelation. Uh, can you share some of that? Yeah, so chapter six of Second Sight I called Female Lineage because it was on my mother's deathbed. I don't want to give away the whole book. But yeah. just, you know, on my mother's deathbed that she decided to tell me the family secrets mm-hmm. and the family secrets involved me coming from a whole lineage of psychics and intuitive healers on her side of the family who I didn't know yeah. and this was a huge revelation for me because all my life my mother never supported my intuition she always told me that other people were going to think I was strange or weird and right. not to tell other doctors not to tell other people you know, always suppression and being squashed. And as a child, I wasn't allowed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So for my mother, <laughs> who was a doctor, on her deathbed to tell me this, it was unbelievable mm-hmm. for me because the circle was completed. And I found out my grandmother, her mother, was um, a psychic healer in Philadelphia around the time of the Depression. And she would have a little shack behind my grandfather's pharmacy where she'd do laying on a pants healing she would do psychic readings. She would give their, her neighbors herbs. Hmm. And she was kind of considered the crazy psychic lady. Yeah. And my mother, you know, rebelled by being conservative. Right. And so all her life, you know, she had, she told me on her deathbed, she had these abilities, too, yeah. but never wanted to tell anybody. that she didn't want to be mocked like my grandmother was by some in her neighborhood yeah. in the Depression. Yeah. So that's her rationale for not supporting it in me. When the daughter came out having these abilities, she didn't (laughs) feel comfortable supporting them. But on her deathbed, she 
gave me this bombshell of information, yeah. which I was so grateful for. Oh, sure. And I was able to reconnect with some of the other women in my family, and they helped me write this chapter in the book. Oh, that's so fantastic. Mean, well, bless her for actually saying that. Many people would go to their graves and not, re, you know, not sharing that kind of really helpful information. Yeah, it was very, very mm. helpful to me. Yes. And you talk about, I mean, she had herbal remedies for things. And mm-hmm. so so do some of the other women in your family actually have, uh, carry on different aspects of her, her gift, her lineage? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. that's fabulous. You know, actually, I, I w- went on this television show in Philadelphia where I went on with some of my other relatives. And my, my uh, niece was very young at that time. She had um, psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. And we all went on and talked about it. It was a glorious show. Oh, wonderful. So freeing. <laughs> well, how, how many years ago was that? Oh, that was a, that was a few years ago. A few years ago, yeah. Um, but it was, it was so freeing yes. that we were able to do it together. I mean, for me, because, you know, in Second Sight, I write about how alone I was. Yes. And yes. it's really something to be an intuitive child and feel so alone and not have any idea what's going on. That's right. You know, so to have the circle completed. And, and now in my life, of course, you know, the gift of publishing Second Sight mm-hmm. is that, you know, it's out in the public. And this is why people come to me as a psychiatrist and they come to my workshops because they want to integrate intuition into their healing mm-hmm. and there's such a hunger for this mm-hmm. and there are so, so many people i mean who are longing for this i think this is the new wave of healthcare. Mm. may it be so i think it's been long in coming and and it's such a, as you say you know the complementary medicine can really be extended to all sorts of intuitive forms of healing as well Yes, it's, it's true. You know, I'm about to take a trip. I'm teaching in Europe and the UK, and I'm going to Glastonbury, oh, the Isle yes. of the Goddess. Oh, yes. And I might, with dream journal in hand, <laughs> and I'll be there on the night of the full moon. And oh, so, fabulous. You know, to be able to, you know, go home to that place yes. and have my dreams there in that place. And I want to say that that all integrates with my scientific knowledge as a psychiatrist. In no way yeah. is anything that, that is different from that. It all blends together. Yeah. And I hope one day that psychiatry can see that, you know, and embrace more comfortably mm-hmm. the mystical sides of the profession, of mm-hmm. the healing of the soul, you mm-hmm. know, as we did in the Temple of Escalapes with the the dream incubation chambers. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we began to honor that again in in the healing process today? And and that is exactly it because that is the, the, those are the roots of psychiatry uh, is those dream temples in the ancient world. So we've forgotten so much. It's just degenerated into prescription mills. Yes. Well, we have been speaking with Judith Orloff, Dr. Judith Orloff, this morning on Dream Talk Radio. She is the author of the new book, Second Sight, uh, describing her intuitive, her journey as an intuitive and also as a psychiatrist. And uh, uh, you can reach Dr. Orloff at judithorloff.com. And she's also going to be speaking. She'll be being a, a keynote speaker at the New Living Expo in San Francisco May 1st 
from 1 to 2.30 p.m., and that is down at the Concourse Exhibition Center over on 8th and Brannan. If you if you know the city at all, it's um, easy to get to. Um, Dr. Orloff, thank you so much for your time this morning. I have to say I'm looking forward to your to your next journey. So maybe I'll ask the, as a, the, the final question this morning, what, what, where's your frontier of exploration right now? What are you working on? What is your new projects or new sort of realms of curiosity in terms of intuition and healing? Well, I just want to mention I'm going to be at Esalen Institute oh, in, yes. uh, around the October uh, 31st weekend, Halloween weekend. Oh, great. So what a, what better place to explore sure. and intuition than, yes, than exactly. Esalen? And that's right up you know, in your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and my new exploration is always the next moment. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it is. And if somebody asks me, what, what, you can ask someone what, what their greatest epiphany would be. Yeah. Who, who would you want to ask? Huh. And for me, it would be, you know, the child who's seeing his first star. Yeah. Oh. That's the epiphany I want to know about. Uh. I don't care about famous people. <laughs> you mean you don't want to be Cleopatra in some last life no, <laughs> explosion? <not really>. <laughs> How many people can be fit in one person's body? <laughs> yes, that's funny. Well, Whoopi Goldberg, she was good at that in Ghost. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time, and I wish you all the best, and I hope you come back up to uh, Sonoma County on one of your one of your book tours soon. Oh, thank you. I, I do sometimes. I go up there, I think, to Copperfield, which is sort of close. Yes, I actually saw you. Uh, it must have been last June or July. Oh, I remember. Yes, now I remember. Yes, That's yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish you all the best with your book, and hopefully people will come to see you at the New Living Expo. It's always an interesting group of people speaking there. So. Yeah, well, I look forward to seeing everybody. Yes, all right. Well, thank you so much. Okay, bye. All right, bye-bye. That was Dr. Judith Orloff, a very gracious guest here on uh, Dream Talk Radio. I, I really do like her book. It's very accessible. Uh, she talks in a very personal tone about her journey through, uh, you know, coming to understand her intuitive gifts. And uh, I didn't actually, I could well, I have this whole list of questions I could have asked her. But anyway, she has a really interesting taxonomy of dreams, a, a way of, of, of delineating what dreams are have what kind of information. So we touched on a few of them, psychological dreams and guidance dreams, precognitive dreams and healing dreams. So if you want to know more about her work, uh, I encourage you to pick up the book Second Sight. Or you can, there's actually a... Um, you can get a copy of Second Sight with some bonus gifts from uh, many other teachers, uh, Michael Beckwith, Debbie Ford, James Van Prague, uh, Shirley MacLaine. If you go to drjudithorloff.com, there's a whole little um, special deal if you want to buy a, a copy of the book there and get all kinds of other gifts from other teachers. That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.